welcome to On The Middle East, Almonitor's podcast on the big and interesting developments in the region. My name is Ambrin Zaman and today I'll be talking with Anne Linde, who served as Sweden's foreign minister for seven years until September 2022. Her Social Democratic Party was in power in March 2022 when Sweden and its neighbour Finland applied for full membership of NATO in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine that year. Both countries fully expected to join NATO without any hitches, until Turkey, one of the alliance's most important members, slammed the brakes. Ankara insisted Sweden and Finland needed to drastically alter their permissive approach to the Kurdistan Workers' Party, or PKK, and other anti-Turkish groups as a condition for approving their membership. Ankara was particularly incensed by Linda's warm embrace of representatives of the Kurdish-led autonomous administration in northeast Syria. Turkey says they are part of the PKK, which is formally designated as a terrorist group by the United States and the European Union. In March last year, Finland got the green light, and in January, after nine months of haggling, the Turkish parliament gave the final go-ahead for Sweden's membership as well. But at what cost to Sweden and its much-vaunted prioritization of human rights? Sweden's former top diplomat responds. Welcome to our programme, Anne Linde. It's wonderful to have you with us here today. Thank you very much. So it's a very important time, well, for the world, but also for your country, Sweden, which is still trying to join the NATO alliance and being held up by Hungary, but for a very long time was held up by Turkey. Uh, as you well know, Turkey had some very big demands of Sweden. And of course, now that Turkey has finally approved Sweden's membership, it seems like it's a good time to reflect on that whole process. Um, was Turkey ever really serious in its demands? Was it about something else, about the US and F-16s? Or was it serious, as I said? And, and what did Sweden do? And how has Sweden changed in this process? And how do you feel that the government, the current government, handled it? Well, thank you very much. Uh, I think the first thing to reflect on is why Sweden decided to change the security policy that has been very successful for more than 200 years, keeping Sweden out of war. We were neutral, we were um, uh, military non-aligned, and then suddenly we changed. And why did we? Well, the easy answer uh, is the terrible situation when Russia, so close to Sweden, decided to invade uh, a neighboring country, Ukraine, who has done absolutely nothing. And we had for a long time been very aware of that an attack on Sweden uh, is not something you can count out, not as a main target, but being drawn into a war in our vicinity. And uh, then Finland, 
who uh, Sweden and Finland had a, a deepening uh, defense uh, cooperation. Uh, Finland had a 1,340 kilometer long direct border to uh, Russia. And they were already uh, in 1939 and then a little bit uh, um, a few years later, two times uh, invaded by Russia and they even lost territory. So it's just a few generations. They still are people uh, who remember that from their own families. And that meant that Finland, who had had more or less the same position as Sweden, we should be military non-aligned with a strong cooperation together. They changed the view very quickly. And that meant that if Sweden were to be alone uh, around the Baltic Sea, that would be a, a situation that would not be the best way to keep the Swedish people safe. This was not, it was, and I repeat, it was not an easy decision for Sweden to take, and not for my own party, which is the biggest party in Sweden, the Social Democratic Party, which have had it, some, some even call it an identity to be non-aligned. And uh, now we had to have big discussions. Okay, so after uh, this discussion in our party, uh, discussion in the Swedish parliament, and we came to the conclusion that yes, this is the best way. Then we decided in May, I, uh, after a discussion in the parliament, after this report was put forward to the parliament, that uh, we should sign, um, an application for NATO, and I signed it the 17th of May um, in uh, 2022. Uh, what happened then uh, was that um, <clears throat> we, uh, in quite a short time, got the information uh, <clears throat> after we have had um, talked with all uh, parties before that everybody would welcome Sweden. There was an open door policy in NATO. I talked personally to the uh, foreign minister, Shavusholu. Uh, the Finnish president talked with Erdogan. Both of them assured Sweden and Finland that we would be welcomed because we would strengthen NATO as an um, uh, alliance uh, for security, because both Sweden and Finland has very strong uh, de defense forces. And uh, we, we of, of course, have a lot of um, know-how when, when it comes to Baltic Sea and uh, the very north and so on. So we felt that we have made sure that we were welcome and NATO as such welcomed us. Then uh, what happened was that uh, Turkey uh, changed their mind. Uh, and um, when um, uh, it was uh, the, the um, summit in Madrid, before the summit, they were supposed to take a, a decision to invite Sweden and Finland to become, it's called invitee. And that means that if you are invited by all NATO members as invitee, 
everything opens up. Why do you think Turkey changed its mind having offered those assurances and then, you know, yeah, I, I think uh, there are there there are of course different because the same weekend uh, as the Swedish Parliament uh, was going to have the the, the discussion and uh, then I was going to sign the the application, the same weekend suddenly uh, Erdogan said, "Well, I'm more or less I'm not sure that we will welcome them." And that was, uh, you know, this was not what we expected because he had said to President of Finland that we were welcome. The the foreign minister has said that we were welcome, and and uh, so so we thought that we have had those discussions. The main reason uh, that uh, Turkey said was that Sweden is not tough enough to fight terrorism and that we allowed PKK uh, on our um, soil. The, the fact is that Sweden, like EU, consider PKK to be a terrorist organization. Uh, but um, Turkey has, uh, for many, many years, wanted NATO to put the fight against terrorism much higher on NATO's agenda. That has been a policy that Turkey has pursued for many, many years. And I think that now they both for uh, some legitimate reason, it, it turned out that uh, there had been quite some financing um, to PKK from Sweden that we started to, to do something about uh, after this. Um, and then, of course, uh, I don't want to speculate, but, you know, everybody knows about the issue of F-16 and, and so on and so forth. But could you, um, uh, could you explain a bit about that financing? Because obviously this happened under your watch that you established that this was going. Yeah, it, was just yeah. It, 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 it came out and that was very clear that that had been finances, financing uh, originating from Sweden to PKK persons. Um, and we had not taken that seriously enough because it was not a threat to Sweden. But then uh, our intelligence um, and uh, security police uh, found out that this was in fact true. And uh, we also, and that was not as a result of the discussions with uh, Turkey, but we have already started to tighten um, our uh, terrorist uh, laws. Uh, so we um, uh, decided in, in this memorandum we had to write that uh, any act of uh, financing and recruitment of PKK activities uh, should be, be fought. And then the, the question came, Okay, so, so Turkey is on their way to change their mind. Uh, what should we do? And um, NATO's leadership and the big countries told us that, okay, it seems like we have a real problem that we, none of us had foreseen because NATO has an open door policy and you fulfill all the criteria. Uh, but anyway, we have a problem and we need to address that problem. 
and you have to um, make an agreement uh, with uh, Turkey before the summit, otherwise uh, they will not uh, accept you to become an invitee. Uh, and that uh, some people have said, why didn't you let NATO uh, negotiate? Why didn't you let, why didn't you leave it? Well, the thing is that we had come to the conclusion that we needed NATO membership for our security. And if, uh, uh, and, and that was of course our prime goal. If then NATO and the big country says that this is needed to have an agreement with Turkey uh, and you and Finland has to agree with them. Uh, so it started a diplomatic, um, a diplomatic uh, activities uh, on a big scale. Um, and uh, in the end, as it's always, uh, I mean, I've been minister for nearly seven years, so I know it's, it's, these things happen. You negotiate until the absolute deadline. And um, the, the, the diplomats uh, and NATO, with the help of NATO um, in the three countries, came very close to an agreement, but not 100% close. So we had to have a final uh, agreement, uh, final negotiation in Madrid at the summit. And we were sitting there for five hours um, with our prime minister, myself, and our NATO ambassador, and president of Finland, foreign minister of Finland, and president Erdogan, and foreign minister Shavosholo. And uh, we, after five hours, we agreed to a, a memorandum of um, uh, understanding. And then Turkey and Hungary, as well as all other NATO countries, decided that we were now going to be invitee. And that was then sealed at um, North Atlantic um, Council meeting, uh, 5th of July, where all countries, including Turkey and Hungary, um, wrote on the, on the agreement. And by that, the NATO process was finished and the ratification started. Yes, but I mean, Turkey had these demands that we talked about, and some of them were rather outlandish, to be frank. I mean, the demanding the extradition of people like Ragab Zarakolo and others who have ne never carried any weapons in their lives, who've been acknowledged as, you know, legitimate um, asylum seekers by your government in the past, and particularly bearing in mind, as you said at a um, conference in 2019 at this Rojava Gala, that human rights has always stood at the uh, fore of your foreign policy. Um, how do you feel Sweden has come out of this process? I mean, do you feel that that's now been lost and that thanks to pressure from Turkey in part, or bearing in mind the broader context that you very kindly provided for us, um, do you feel that Sweden has changed fundamentally as a country? And again, I repeat the question, do you feel that your successor government uh, handled this well and, and your own as well, obviously? That where do you think you are today as a country? Uh, 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 we have changed fundamentally when it comes to our security policy. I mean, 200 years of uh, neutrality, military non-alignment has changed to being a NATO member. 
And that's a fundamental change of the security policy. When it comes to human rights and uh, international law and democracy, there has been no change. And there was no the decision on extradition or things like that. Uh, in the, the memorandum, it's, it's said that uh, we will uh, address uh, the, uh, um, the, the question of extradition, but uh, in uh, accordance with European Convention of Extradition, and um, in uh, following the international law. And that's what we've done. And I know that during the whole per process, the President Erdogan said, now we are going to get 33 people from Sweden and then 73 people. And uh, so it was nothing in the, in, the, in the negotiation about this. And that was nothing that uh, happened. Everything happened in accordance with the European Convention on Extradition and in accordance with uh, international law. Okay, so then what did Sweden actually do uh, to address Turkey's concerns in concrete terms. You mentioned terrorism financing. There's been a lot of talk about this anti-terror legislation, which in fact long predated your NATO application and therefore was not prompted by Turkish pressure in any way. So what, what did Turkey get from Sweden? Well, one thing is that uh, after the uh, military intervention in uh, northeast Syria, uh, which I also uh, protested against in Ankara, uh, uh, then uh, uh, we had uh, never a weapon embargo, uh, because uh, that's a decision by EU and EU didn't take that decision, even if Sweden was in favor of that. But we have a tightening of the possibility for uh, uh, weapon sales to Turkey after this. And um, uh, in the memorandum, uh, we agreed that we cannot be member of um, a military uh, alliance and not treat all the members of the military alliance the same way. So that was one. Uh, concrete change, uh, of course, the question of, of um, uh, military uh, export. Were there any military exports to speak of, though, to Turkey? Um... No, <laughs> but but uh, but still important. But, but... Uh, it's, it's it's still important. Okay, so and the second. Yes, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, and 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 then, of course, we decided to have a closer relation between our intelligence services uh, to give and take information. And one should know that Sweden have had for decades uh, a cooperation for, because we have, as you might know, unfortunately, a big problem with uh, criminal gangs. Uh, and um, we also have several um, who uh, is using uh, Turkey to be, and, and so there has been a cooperation between the agencies uh, for a very long time. But now we made that more formal. Uh, we started a, a, a mechanism uh, that should meet uh, regularly, a permanent joint mechanism uh, with experts from ministries, uh, foreign affairs, interior and justice, as well as the intelligence service and security institution. And we also said that this permanent joint mechanism will be open for other countries to join. 
Um, and then, of course, it was the question that was a very, very difficult question on um, how we should relate to the Turkish parties that is considered terrorist parties by Turkey, but is not considered terrorist parties by uh, Sweden, Finland, or EU for that matter. And that was one of the very, very difficult uh, issues that we had to, to find uh, a way that we, we um, could live with both uh, uh, Turkey and Sweden and Finland. You mean the YPG and uh, people like Ilham Ahmed, who you hosted, and uh, you you thanked them for the fight against the terrorism. Do you? Uh, I had a, I had many many meetings with Ilan Ahmed, uh, both yes. for uh, their work in the Syrian Democratic Council, yes, uh, in in Anes, uh, their fight against IS. And of course, we had to meet many times because uh, we had uh, several women and children uh, in northeast Syria in the camps. And actually, I had to send more than eight delegations to uh, um, uh, northeast Syria uh, to, um, from the ministry. And finally, we got home, uh, the women and children. But for every time we had to have a negotiation, with um, the, uh, the, the regional um, uh, administration. And uh, Ilana, uh, Ilham Ahmad was uh, one of the leaders of, uh, of um, Syrian Democratic Council and ANES. So it was perfectly normal uh, that I should have uh, the, all those contact with her. And I think also we had a very constructive uh, a uh, very good um, relation uh, that I value a lot. Um, that relationship was a casualty of this process. And do you still maintain that that administration, that the YPG, that the SDF are indeed good partners and they continue to partner with the United States and the coalition? Um, do, you, do you feel that that's been a casualty? Because as we all know, Ilham Ahmed and her colleagues can no longer visit you. I mean, well, I say you, I mean, government officials, they may show up in Stockholm, but they don't get to um, have their pictures taken with Swedish officials anymore. Well, actually, it, it, it happened that all those uh, uh, negotiations for, for the women and children were, were then ending uh, more or less in the same uh, time period. Uh, so, so there were no need for, for that anymore. And uh, we never had um, uh, contacts as a government with uh, IPG. It, it was um, a party uh, thing. And uh, there was also meetings um, with uh, the, uh, the, um, uh, the party and, and uh, YPG. Uh, during this time. Well, I mean, you were a target of fierce criticism in the Turkish media. You were um, called a terrorist sympathizer, etc. Uh, what is your response to all of that? And and if and when your your party is re-elected, um, what sort of changes, if any, would you envisage in your policies towards Turkey and towards well, Kurds? I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed that uh, I speak up for human rights, international law, and no, no military intervention. Uh, absolutely not. And I've been asked 
several times. Uh, I mean, why did you say this in a press conference in Ankara? And uh, why do you uh, continue to, to uh, stand up for human rights and international law? Why do you still uh, say that Selatin uh, Dermitage um, uh, and Figun Yüksel and Osman Kavala should be freed? Uh, well, that, nothing of that has changed. What has changed is that uh, we have made an agreement uh, to um, uh, that uh, to the, the effect of national security of Turkey, uh, Sweden and Finland will not provide support to YPG or PYDI. Uh, and that meant in uh, economic, financial and military terms which we hadn't done e uh, before either, but now it's on, on, on paper okay. that uh, we wouldn't do that. Uh, and that is, of course, uh, it was not on paper before. So, so this is, of course, uh, this was a step that we had to agree on, but uh, it's in the, in the um, uh, also very important to say in the paragraph about national security. And not about terrorism. And is that binding for every Swedish government that comes to power, or could it change? No, actually, uh, I mean, when when Sweden uh, sign an agreement, uh, I I don't think it ever have happened that uh, that is not uh, followed because you should know that Sweden is a trustworthy country. I mean, if you have a signed agreement, then you follow it. Of course, policies change and. Uh, things like that, but signed agreement is is followed. Uh, so, two final questions. Um, one is, would you say that uh, national security, given what's happening uh, in the region at this time, trumps human rights for Sweden? That that's what you have to be um, vigilant about above all else for the security of your country, of your citizens? Absolutely not. Okay. You think the two are compatible still? And that I think it, it, it's always very, very difficult, but that Sweden should not stand up for international law, human rights and democracy. That's, that's not, uh, as we say in Sweden, it's not on the map. Okay, because, you know, this current government has been accused of sort of extraditing some people who didn't even have any clear um you know offense uh, that 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 could be qualified as terrorist activity just to placate turkey that somehow you know as one journalist put it to me they were meat thrown at the turkish government i mean that doesn't obviously fit the image we've all had of sweden for decades but um you may want to comment on that or not my final final question is do you think uh we could have gotten to where we did meaning turkey signing off finally without the united states being involved in all of these discussions throughout and when will hungary follow suit well uh, <clears throat> it seems like the issue of uh, f16 has played a role Apparently, it seems like that. I cannot speculate because uh, I don't know. But I mean, it's 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 it seems like it has played a role. Um, and when it comes to Hungary, I mean, the prime minister and foreign minister several 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 times promised 
both to me, to my successor, to the prime minister, both to our prime minister and this prime minister, they promised that Hungary will not be the last one to ratify. And now they are the last one. So um, this is, uh, of course, uh, not an ideal situation. Um, I mean, we have fulfilled uh, every criteria to become a member, and I think that they should just ratify us uh, immediately. Well, so all countries don't keep their promises like Sweden does. Thank you very much, Anlinde. It was a great pleasure and an honor to have you on our program today. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Goodbye. And this brings us to the end of this week's episode of On the Middle East. I hope you found my conversation with Anlinde as interesting as I did. Thanks for tuning in and hope to be back soon with yet another brilliant guest. Thank you and goodbye.